You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Dr. Matt Bernholz. I'm joined by Dr. Nicholas Gross. He is a volunteer staff physician at St. Francis Hospital in Connecticut and Emeritus Professor of Medicine and Molecular Biology at Loyola University in Chicago. Dr. Gross, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, Dr. Gross, just to start, give us a sense of your upbringing in medicine, um, your interest, what got you involved in in the particular fields that you found yourself, from Mm -hmm. pulmonology to molecular biology. Sounds like a widespread within the medical field. (laughs) Yes, you could say that. I started life uh, knowing that I wanted to be an academic, so I went into uh, internal medicine, and uh, I happened to have a couple of professors who were very influential in my uh, early years, and uh, one of them happened to be a pulmonologist, and another one was a cardiologist. So I actually went from one to the other uh, more than once. I had a full cardiology residency, and then I did a uh, full pulmonary residency, and uh, my hospital at that time needed a pulmonologist, so I became a full-time pulmonologist, and I've been a pulmonologist ever since. So that, that's really my, been my career. I picked up a PhD in molecular biology because, again, I wanted to be an academic and uh, do research. Research was a great passion of mine, and it was clear that you had to have the right credentials to get funded and nice big grants from NIH and so forth. So I got myself a, a, a PhD in molecular biology, and I actually did uh, research in the molecular biology of lungs, particularly surfactant, the problem with premature babies, as I'm sure you know. And I spent quite a few years doing molecular biology of the, of the lungs, and I only really stopped uh, about five years ago uh, after a long string run of uh, getting nice grants from NIH and the VA system as well. And uh, now I confine my interest mainly to uh, airway disease, COPD, and asthma particularly, of course. And uh, I'm still uh, actively uh, seeing patients. I uh, do a lot of reading of the literature and follow um, what's going on in the uh, pulmonary uh, department. I write a column that's uh, published uh, bi-monthly in a specialty journal called COPD, and the the column is called the COPD Pipeline, and I do a lot of work uh, finding out what different companies are doing with their uh, research uh, activities, trying to uh, alert the um, specialist, particularly the pulmonary specialist, as to what's coming down the line and uh, where it will be in terms of the uh, developmental process. So that uh, occupies me quite a lot. That's one of the reasons why I come to have functions like this, because I can always talk to people and try and get information out of them that uh, is not published by anybody else. Well, it seems as though we're in the wrong chairs, then. You should be in my chair here. It seems like you are actively hunting down, uh, as any interview host or reporter would. Certainly. That's part of the job. So tell me a little bit about that publication. Um, what uh, have you found as of late to be in the pipeline? What has gotten your attention? I'm, I'm interested in things which are probably just over the horizon, five years away, for instance. Uh, there's a lot of stuff written by drugs that are about to be published uh, and about to be approved. Uh, I was writing about Anoro and Brio, not with those names, but uh, the, the uh, actual uh, components of them, um, four or five years ago. I was writing about Reflumilast uh, as soon as I heard about it, which again was long before it was approved. Uh, and uh, Tudorza, uh, likewise, I've actually, uh, was one of the researchers for, uh, for 
two daughters as well as Dalaresk. So what's coming down the line now, uh, unfortunately, is very largely combinations of the drugs that we know very well for many years. In other words, they're ICS, LABAs, and LAMAs uh, in every conceivable permutation and delivery mechanism you can think of. There are uh, relatively few of them right now, uh, but I'm sure that in probably two or three years we'll have uh, at least four ICS LABA combinations, new ones, 24-hour drugs. And in the further horizon, we'll probably have a triple combination, that's to say, and ICS larva and alarma all in one package and that will be the standard drug that everybody inappropriately as many of them will be will will actually receive uh, because it's so convenient a once a day drug that contains all the medications that uh, patients could conceivably need that will be the one that everybody is getting but it'll be some years before that's available because the FDA has uh, uh, quite strict rules for developing combinations and it's going to be difficult uh, for any drug company to um, put three agents together uh, having done the dose response for each separately as well as in combination. So there are big hurdles for the, the companies to jump over. Other than that, um, we have phosphokinases being developed particularly for uh, dealing with the inflammatory component that's present in uh, airways inflammation, both in COPD and asthma. Particularly in COPD, we need new treatments for airways inflammation. Asthma is a diff different type of inflammation, and it's treated very well with corticosteroids. So we have good drugs for asthma. The problem with asthma is largely uh, compliance. Patients who should be taking it, particularly young patients, uh, on a regular basis, they stop taking their steroid as soon as they get better from an exacerbation. And then they come in three, six, 12 months later with another acute exacerbation, and we find they haven't actually been taking any corticosteroids by inhalation for many months. Uh, so that's the big problem with asthma. But we, this, this is a, a COPD is a different problem. It's a different type of inflammation. The um, uh, Inflammatory, pro-inflammatory molecules are a different group altogether, and uh, they're not really amenable to steroid inhibition. So we need to develop uh, new, unique, probably unique anti-inflammatory agents, of which we don't have uh, enough at the moment. I think actually rifumilast is probably one of them, and uh, I would like to see it developed as an anti-inflammatory agent, but unfortunately it's very difficult to get the FDA to provide and accept that kind of indication without the uh, science to go with it. And, and it would take a long, a very big and, and long uh, study to show that uh, reflumilast had an anti-inflammatory uh, effect, but, but I, I sincerely believe that it does. But we need quite a lot of other agents to be in development as well. I was hoping that statins would be one of them. It's anti-inflammatory in some ways, uh, but turns out not to be anti-inflammatory for COPD, which is a big disappointment. I think it's a surprise to many listeners to hear statins equated with any lung disease at all. Right. It's interesting that it was being researched. Why is that? Well, uh, it does have anti-inflammatory properties in other organs, uh, and it, it's, it's almost... <laughs> 
so effective that it should be in the drinking water. Uh, but um, it's, it's really because there are so many different types of inflammation that statin can work well in the inflammation that's present in, in vascular diseases, but it doesn't work well for patients who have uh, airway diseases, uh, the inflammation of airways diseases. I was hoping it would be because then it would be very easy to switch over to using statins as well as uh, our other treatments, but uh, it turns out not to be the case. Uh, why it doesn't work in airways diseases? The only answer to that is because somehow it doesn't address the pro-inflammatory mechanisms that are present in COPD, uh, mm. like it does in, in vascular disease. It's unfortunate that it happens to be the case. What are the inflammatory mechanisms within COPD or inflammatory yeah. or disease as compared to other organ systems? If I knew that, I would be on my way to Oslo to pick up the Nobel Prize. <laughs> That's the big question. You know, we just don't know. Uh, people are looking at it, looking for different disease mechanisms. Basically, COPD is not just one disease. It's really a whole range of diseases. Some address the airways more than anything else. Others address the lung parenchyma more than anything else. And there are other aspects, too, which are essentially unique. So if you take a multifactorial disease like COPD, you're not really going to end up with one mechanism. It's, it's going to be a whole group of mechanisms. And I suspect that what we'll... Uh, actually find is that uh, treatment, let's say uh, an investigational treatment uh, X will work quite well in a certain proportion of COPD patients but not in others <laughs> and so it's going to be the disease itself is going to fall into multiple different varieties rather like uh, say diabetes you know we have type, type uh, uh, 1 and type 2 diabetes which are quite different in terms of their mechanisms and uh, if you try to lump them together and use one drug for all of those diseases, you would find that there would be uh, quite a few um, patients who didn't respond to your anti-diabetic medication. And people might even say, this drug is going to get the thumbs down because it doesn't work for everybody. But the drug, and the same thing would apply to COPD, is that your miracle drug will work very well in some patients, but not at all in others. And the real trick is to recognize which patients are the ones who are responding well and to, uh, and to develop the drug specifically for that subgroup of COPD patients. And this is not welcome news to the pharmaceutical companies because they want a drug that will do for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so the whole world will be able to take their drug and they'll make lots of money that way. Nothing against making lots of money, of course, but uh, it's not going to be possible in the future for, um, for many of uh, the diseases we grapple with right now, cancer being really the archetype of that. I mean, if you uh, imagine that all lung cancer or all ovarian cancer are essentially going to respond to the same treatment, you're not going to be able to develop any drug that that benefits every patient with that mm -hmm. disease. We're facing that problem with COPD. So like the tenets of many personalized medicine advances, the one-size-fits-all algorithm does, doesn't work for COPD. Absolutely correct, yes. So COPD seems to exist within a spectrum yes. as opposed to a defined 
unilateral disease, which sounds like our, our current defining of COPD is incorrect then. As defined as a single agent, a single type, it, that, that is er an error. Yeah. And people know that. People know that. Uh, it's, it's difficult to um, apply that, though, to uh, pharmaceutical developments. Because, again, uh, pharmaceutical companies, these are very expensive drugs to develop. Uh, and certainly for COPD, uh, to get through the FDA, you're probably going to need multiple studies involving many thousands of patients for at least six months and more likely a year or two years or three years. And those are very, very expensive trials to, to run. It takes a lot of conviction on the part of the scientific side to get a pharmaceutical company to spend enormous amounts of money on drugs that may fail completely. You know, we've just done statin trials in COPD, which showed they don't, they don't work for COPD. And can you imagine the amount of money that was spent on doing a one-year study with 2,000 patients? Uh, it takes a good deal, and, and the reason why it could be done is because statin is such a successful drug, it's already made gazillions of dollars, and, you know, okay, so this is really not such a big uh, a pot to put into this, uh, but if statins didn't have a very good market already, I couldn't see anybody doing that kind of study. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the combination drugs that you speak of that are on the horizon are in a much different position. Very much ads. different position because we've got Advair and we've had Simbacort some years now and they've done very, very well. And uh, they take the same components and put them together, maybe a slight difference. You use Foradil instead of Salmeterol as the, as the bronchodilator. And uh, you've got Simbacort, whereas uh, GSK has, has uh, Advair. And so it's not a big deal to take a well-known beta agonist and a well-known inhaled steroid, put them together, and make a new combination. But does it advance our treatment of the disease? Not really. We like to have alternatives in the prescribing department, and so uh, we'll have other ICS-LAVA combinations, and we'll have ICS-LAMA combinations, and we'll have... Uh, uh, Lama Lava combinations, one next door at Inoro, a very good drug, which actually I think uh, does provide a better answer to patients who have uh, appropriate types of COPD. But if they've never had an acute exacerbation, they shouldn't have an inhaled steroid. And uh, that's what we've lacked as a single agent until now. Inoro provides us with two bronchodilators without the presence of a corticosteroid. So for patients who've never had an acute exacerbation before, that works very well. I like adding reflumolase to that as well because that also reduces acute exacerbation. So when patients do start to have acute exacerbations, reflumolast is the right agent, but it's not approved. If it didn't, if it didn't have that, it wouldn't be approved, and one wouldn't be using it according to um, FDA if, if the patient had never had an acute exacerbation in the past. So Anoro is, a, is, a, is an advance, but it still only uses agents that we're very familiar with. And in terms of adverse events, you really have very few concerns for a drug like Anoro because we've had long-acting beta agonists for a long time. We've had long-acting anticholinergics for a long time. And so we have very little difficulty convincing the FDA that Anoro is going to be safe. Now, we've 
focus primarily and with good reason on the pharmacologic side of treatments and what's mm. on the horizon. What about non-pharmacologic therapies? Mm. What's, uh, what's on your map? Well, uh, the biggest one, of course, is smoking cessation. Uh, in fact, uh, that's one area where there is really a lot of activity going on. Uh, fortunately, I think, too, uh, largely because Chantix has done so well. And uh, again, uh, other pharmaceutical companies look to what's doing well and try to emulate uh, their drug uh, because, uh, first of all, there's less risk involved. And second of all, it's easier to convince the FDA uh, because they know what the FDA will accept in terms of uh, an approvable drug. And if you have a, a front runner for that, then it, again, that simplifies the development process. Uh, there are actually 15 drugs in development for smoking cessation, uh, all, well, most of them based on a Chantix-type model. And everybody wants one of those drugs because Chantix is doing very well. And I hope they all succeed, to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, but there are other uh, smoking uh, cessation devices <coughs> and, and treatments that are also being developed. That's probably the most likely new development in our field uh, of all. As far as treating the disease itself, there are actually... Um, several hundred in early stage development. That's well preclinical. But most of them, if not all of them, will, will drop out before they get to the clinical stage. Occasionally, a few of them do get through them. Uh, of the, the two or three hundred uh, in early stage development, that's to say preclinical animal studies, they are showing benefits for models of COPD and models of asthma, but uh, all but a very few will die in the clinical stage. And those who make it through the, the phase one will die in phase two because um, it's very difficult to, again, and expensive to put enough commitment into doing a third phase three study if your phase two study is not absolutely convincing. Uh, so companies will go to phase two because they don't involve a large number of patients and they're relatively short run for the most part, 2A and 2B, uh, both relatively short. Uh, you get your answer fairly quickly. And um, if they don't look really good, that drug company's not just not going to do it anymore. So they die in phase two. And at the moment, we don't have any uh, really original drugs in phase three for COPD. It's a sad comment, but unfortunately, that turns out to be the case. Well, it's not that many aren't aware of this situation yeah. already, but it's definitely a bleak picture that yeah. gets painted. Any light at the end of the tunnel from your perspective? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, hope for stem cells. There's stem cell research going on, uh, NIH-sponsored, using stem cells uh, for uh, COPD. Um, I'm very optimistic about that. The amazing thing about stem cells is that, uh, first of all, that we have stem cells which uh, are not rejected. Uh, they manage to avoid the usual foreign uh, agent stem cell research type of thing, or the foreign, foreign agent uh, rejection. We don't find that with the mesenchymal cells that are being used uh, to make stem cells. And uh, also, even more amazing is the fact that they seem to know where to go. They seem to know what part needs to be corrected. 
So for patients who have heart disease, for instance, they go to the heart and they, they, and they uh, uh, find a home for themselves in the cardiovascular tissues and they will even reproduce there. We don't know whether they'll have to be continuously provided. That's to say that the uh, number of cells that you put in will gradually decline uh, with time and they have to be replenished, as it were, or uh, whether they will actually create a clone of themselves and uh, act as, as a full, fully developed uh, myocardial cell. But the same thing seems to happen for patients who have COPD, that the stem cells go there as well. And uh, how they do that is obviously something to do with uh, recognition of cell surface antigens by the host. And uh, they said, come here, come here, you've got to, we'll give you a good home. Is that what they do? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? But it seems like that's that's what's going on, which uh, I think is very, very fortunate and very, very hopeful in terms of development. Uh, we obviously uh, still have a long way to go with stem cells. The, the, the research that's being done by, uh, sponsored by NIH goes over several years. I'm talking of de- decades now. And there is always the concern that you might be introducing something which uh, happens to have uh, very adverse events, uh, effects and, uh, and takes over the host, as it were, you know, a, a, a graft versus host type of uh, disease, which would be terrible if that were to be the case. But fortunately, nothing like that has happened so far. So I, I think that's that's really quite promising. Unfortunately, I don't think I'll be alive by the time it come, becomes available because this is going to take a long time to develop. Other than that, well, there's all kinds of molecules. The phosphokinase inhibitors, for instance, uh, there's some rationale for each of them. It's not clear whether any of them will actually come to fruition. Most of those agents will, as they have been doing in the past, they will die in development. But um, I'm hoping that we will get one or two that will look promising enough for drug companies to pick them up. Well, Dr. Gross, any closing thoughts for this interview? We've covered a lot of territory. Anything you want to add? Before well, I we don't want up? to be depressive too, too much. Uh, uh, that, uh, you know, it's all bad news. It's not all bad news. I think the fact that there are, what, 30 or 40 different companies uh, at this convention is is uh, in itself good news. It means that companies uh, are still interested in making and selling their drugs, and I hope that that continues for a long time. Perfectly put. Well, I've been speaking with Dr. Nicholas Gross. He's volunteer staff physician at St. Francis Hospital in Connecticut and Emeritus Professor of Medicine and Molecular Biology at Loyola University in Chicago. He's also clearly the inside man for all things COPD, and we've been a pleasure talking to him today at CHEST.